Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch. I am your host, Sarah M. Chapel, and today we're picking up one of my favorite topics, scaling. We're going to look specifically at how you scale customer service in your business. If you're listening to this live, when this is released, in two days on Saturday, April 17th, I'm leading another round of my workshop, the Scalable Offer Workshop. This workshop is amazing to me. Like, it's so good. (laughs) Um, If you're somebody who does well with the live accountability of a workshop and being able to bounce ideas off of me and other people, and you know you want to create a scalable offer. So to recap, because you've heard me say this before, but if you're new here or you've forgotten, a scalable offer is an offer that leverages your time so that what actions you take are actually expanded and and magnified so that you can impact more people without putting in a proportionally larger amount of work. Examples of scalable offers include things like books. A book is the original scalable offer. Things like lectures and classes and workshops and membership sites, things like that are all scalable because instead of you doing one hour of work with one person, You are doing however much work it takes to create that thing and then able to reach more people with it, right? An infinite number of people can read a book, for example. It takes time to write a book, but once it's done, it can reach and impact, you know, hundreds and thousands of people. So with the Scalable Offer Workshop, what we do is we take two days to identify your scalable offer and show you how to test it with your audience to make sure it's something they actually want before you invest a whole bunch of time in making it. So if you haven't already, go to um, go to the link that we're going to have tagged here uh, or over onto Instagram, holisticbusinessacademy.com forward slash scalable hyphen offer hyphen workshop, which now I'm saying that I realize is not a super memorable link. So go to the link in the show notes or ping me over on Instagram if you want to sign up. I'd love to see you there and help you come up with your scalable offer that will help you to sustain yourself and impact more people without working more and and driving yourself nuts in just two days. We'll do it over the weekend. It's super fun. It'll be on Saturday and Sunday for about two or three hours each day. And you get lifetime access to the recordings. It's a blast. In the past, people have turned around and in a couple weeks launched their scalable offers, more than 10x their investment, and generally started to reframe how they approach their work so it's more sustainable for them. So I love to teach this class. And it's what brought up this topic today, because if we start to create more scalable offers, that means we're going to be having more customers. And when you have more customers, sounds like a good problem to have, right? But often our systems and structures are not actually prepared for the influx of customers, especially when it comes to customer support. If you're doing one-on-one work, for example, and let's say you have packages, or even if you're doing one-off one-on-one work, chances are you might be working with somewhere between, I don't know, five and maybe on the upper end, 30 customers a month. If you have a scalable offer, all of a sudden you might be looking at 30, 50, 100, 200, 1,000 customers that you're actively supporting at a time or who are enrolled in something with you. So we start to have to look at scaling, not just in terms of the offer itself, which is what we teach in the workshop and what you'll do when you join us in the scalable offer workshop, but also then how we actually support the people who come and invest in these products and services. And I've talked about this a little bit before in our Holistic Business Academy year in review and things like that, because so much of what we've been doing inside my business is setting up these systems and structures. I'm pretty passionate about taking action before we're ready. You know, I think that if we wait until we're ready, we generally wait too long. 
Uh, what, what that looks like for you individually is differently. Some folks take action in two days, some days it's two months, sometimes it's longer. But the point is that often, you know, we need to move more quickly. But once we have done this, once if you come to the Scalable Offer Workshop, you've done your test balloon beta, you've done these steps to, to get this offer going, oftentimes we, we then do need to not necessarily pause, though I've definitely done that a lot in my business, um, but we need to reassess and make sure that we have a strong foundation. So the way I view this is essentially, it's not worth your time to invest a lot of time, money, and other resources in setting up systems until you have validated the offer that will require those systems. So instead of, and because this becomes a procrastination technique, instead of waiting to, instead of like holding off on launching your membership or something, or your course or, or, or your, your ebook offer, um, until you have, you know, your customer support totally in place and you have all your systems in place, we want to make sure that people actually buy that thing before you invest the resources in it. And so step one is validate your offer, right? Step two then is setting up the systems. And that doesn't mean we don't want to have some systems in place. For example, if you're going to sell something, you should have a support email address so that people can actually reach you if they have a question about what they bought, right? Or they need help finding access to it or something like that. But the scalable systems we're going to talk about today for customer service, this is something that might come after you've validated your offer. Let's say you launch your membership, you get 20 founding members, which would be fucking awesome, right? And you're like, okay, cool. I validated this idea. People actually want this thing then it's the time to look at setting up the systems to support more customers. So why does this matter though? Why would we set up these systems before we have more customers, right? I'm saying let's get our initial customers, then set up the systems, and then get more customers. The reason is twofold. One is that we often, this becomes a place of self-sabotage, where if we know that we don't really have what we need in place to support more customers, often we'll get in our own way and not actually go out and get those customers. We'll stop ourselves in some way. And this can be a pretty unconscious process. Inside of my Holistic Business Academy, we do talk about how to kind of identify some of those unconscious patterns and start to shift them using a neuropsychological belief work system. But basically, we want to start to notice and say, oh, I, I keep saying I want 50 people in this, 50 people in this, and I never get more than 12. One of the first questions I might ask you is, are you actually prepared to have 50 people? Do you have the systems in place to support 50 people? Because sometimes we'll, we'll cut off. I've seen this happen a lot where people will hit like 12, and I've done this myself, we'll hit some number that we feel safe with, and then all of a sudden stop promoting our offer, right? Even if our launch was supposed to go for another week, we'll just be like, oh yeah, well, I got enough, I'm done now. And we'll kind of shut down, right? Or we'll stop um, answering questions or reaching out, following up with people who said they were interested. We, we stay in the safe zone. Super normal, right? This is This is how human brains work in a large part. But so if we don't have those systems ready, then we can sabotage ourselves. The other reason it's helpful to do this kind of in this in-between stage is that those initial customers for your scalable offer are going to help you understand what that support looks like. So I'm going to use my membership as an example, though really it covers everything that we do in the business. And I say the primary piece that we learned really quickly is that no matter how well you think that you are explaining something or how intuitive it is, for some people it won't be. And sometimes it just has to do with different brain styles. I've talked um, in the past about how I'm neurodivergent and I have a metacognitive style of thinking, which means it's really easy for me to make connections across, or not even easy, it's just the only way I know how to think, is by making like cross-disciplinary connections. 
But that means that sometimes things that are step by step, it's really hard for me to actually break things down that way. Um, or And it's also sometimes hard for me to understand. Reading something step by step is actually really confusing to me. I need to see all the connections and see the big picture. Other people's brains are different. Other people really love a step by step or have a hard time seeing connections across things. So, and just people use things in different ways. So we learned that really quickly, seeing the kinds of questions we got, oh, okay, this creates confusion for people, or people want more structure here. People need help with this. So this allows you to be a little bit more responsive in your planning. But what does it really look like to scale customer service? We're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about systems. We're going to talk about boundaries, and we're going to talk about hiring help. These are the three main components. So we'll start with systems. Very similar to sales and marketing, um, even though each of us is a unique, special butterfly, snowflake, whatever. I guess snowflake is now a bad word. I, I can't keep track. We're not snowflakes. We are, um, we're just very special. <laughs> Everyone is special. Everyone is unique. You're unique, just like everybody else. And even though that's true for all your customers, you're going to notice that there are common problems that emerge, right? So there's going to be people who have trouble um, and need to cancel something, right? Or people who are going to have refund requests or people who won't be able to find things, or people who are going to misread something, right? There's a lot of different common things that'll start to emerge. So the first step of the systems piece when it comes to scaling is trying not to do something from scratch every single time. And this is a major mindset shift, both in terms of business sales and marketing. We talk about this a little bit in the Scalable Offer Workshop and go deeper in this in some of my other work in terms of really repurposing things and allowing yourself to use things more than once. This is also true in the systems of your business, especially with customer support. Every time people ask a question, you will be replying to them. Let's assume we're talking in email or even like in an Instagram DM or something. Once you notice people ask that question more than once, you should make it a system on how to respond to it. So we call these canned emails or saved emails or pre-written emails. Because um, the biggest place we see these is with our email inbox. But essentially, for the common things that people ask us, we have form responses that we use as our starting point for any of those conversations. This is great for two reasons. One, it means that we automatically know where to begin. And for the people that work with me in the company, they know how I want things to be responded to, right? I have a style that I like. I have a way that I like to respond to people. This gets into boundaries, but a way where we endeavor to be both compassionate and kind, but also to enforce our boundaries. So we have these, these form emails as a starting point. That also means then that we can easily edit or adapt them to the particular situation, but we don't have to start from scratch. Think about, you know, when you sit down to write an email and you have a blank screen, right? Or maybe think back to being in school and having to write an essay. The blank screen is like, this is just one of those things that can be really overwhelming to your brain. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> I've got nothing to start with. This way you have these emails saved. You have something to start with for every conversation. Also, it cuts down on time, right? It means you don't have to make a decision about what to do. Someone sends in a cancellation request. This is our cancellation response, right? Or for example, we don't offer refunds for our membership because it's month to month. So there's nothing to refund, right? You've purchased your month. You can leave the next month if you want to. That means we have a canned response, a form email for how we talk about refunds where we refer people to the terms and conditions, we let them know that we can cancel and that they'll have access for X many days. This means that we don't have to, like, I don't have to sit down and decide or my team doesn't have to sit down and decide, oh my God, how do we respond to refunds? 
So especially things that can be kind of challenging, like people giving feedback that might not be, you know, as polite as you want, refunds, credit card issues, things like that. Having these these form emails means you don't have to make a decision about how to reply. This is true too, even if you are doing something like one-on-one work or you sell physical products, you probably get a lot of the same questions over and over again. So having these canned responses, like when people are like, how can I book a reading with you? Having an email that says, this is how you book a reading with me and just firing it off, right? It's done. So these, these, these saved responses are a huge system saver. The other major system saver then, in addition to having these saved responses, is making sure you have the right tools for the work at hand. There are a lot of different factors here, but going with the email example, we talked about this actually in the incubator the other day, so it's already on my mind. For me, it's absolutely critical that our support emails are not intermixed with my personal, well, with my personal emails, but with my business, my personal business emails. For a long time, I ran everything off of my business email address. And what that meant was I would go and be looking at some to find something like from my accountant or, you know, for a collaborator, for example, and I would see a support email and it felt like I had to deal with it urgently. This made it really challenging for me to effectively do my work because I was always kind of being, I don't say bombarded because that implies I don't want the emails. That's not what I mean. I'm, we're very happy, of course, to, to get emails and to support people, but it meant that I was easily derailed and distracted. So for example, you might want to have a separate support email. In fact, I highly recommend that it is worth whatever the five bucks a month to have another email address so that you can go and look at do your work emails without being in your support inbox. I also really do love having a software for collaboration when it comes to emails. We use Missive, M-I-S-S-I-V-E, which is pretty inexpensive and is great for collaborating. And it lets us save all those canned emails I mentioned. They're actually saved in Missive. So we can just go and click. It's like a two button click to send an email to somebody, which is really fantastic. But you are going to have to think about what other systems you personally need. If you have a group that has like a Facebook group, for example, or a or a Mighty Networks. I really don't like, I really hate the user interface in Mighty Networks. I know some of you use it and love it. I hate it as a user, so I refuse to, <laughs> refuse to use it. For something you got to pay for, it really sucks. I'm sorry. Um, no offense. That's my opinion. But if you have like some kind of community, right? Sorry, don't at me about Mighty Networks. You do you. Enjoy your Mighty Networks. But that if you have a community of some kind, right, you need to track people getting in and out of there if it's a membership. For example, how are you going to keep track of them? So as you're going through your initial test of a scalable offer, starting to notice what questions show up, what what bumps there are in the road, and how you want to solve them. This is also a place where you guys have heard me wax poetic around ClickUp before, but having some kind of project management software, ClickUp or otherwise, makes it easier to track these kinds of tasks as well. So that's the first step is systems. And noticing the patterns and recognizing that sometimes it means it's an email response or an Instagram DM response that is essentially canned. And you can do that in Instagram now too. You can save you can save responses. So you're like, okay, cool. When someone has this question, this is the answer. And you can, of course, tweak it to be personalized to the person, but you don't have to start from the beginning every time. And then noticing what other systems you might need support with in order to facilitate this. There's one last piece here too, which is that if you get a lot of questions, they might be an indicator that there's something missing in your content or in your onboarding experience for your scalable offer. 
Because part of being scalable is that you're not going to be walking each person personally through onboarding. For example, when we first started my program, there was one email that welcomed people to the program to HBA and introduced them to some things. Sometime last year, we actually added in a five or six day onboarding sequence that told people step by step what to do each day to get access to and understand every core part of the membership. And that cut down dramatically on the questions that we had, especially about how to best use the coaching calls, how to get into the Facebook group, things like that. You might notice, oh, a lot of people are confused about how this thing works. Maybe that's something I can address in the content itself or in an email that they get when they sign up, etc. So sometimes it's not that a system needs to be put in place, but a piece of content or information needs to be automated. So our second piece then, right, was boundaries, my friends. And this is really critical because as customer support grows, right, you get more customers just as a percentage, the number of people who have questions or need help is going to be higher. I alluded to one of the important boundaries pieces that I have, which is that increasingly, to the best of my ability, we do not use my business email for support. And if somebody does email that, usually that then gets sent over to a team member in one of our team inboxes. Now, for me, this, again, isn't because I don't want to talk to people. If you, if you DM us on Instagram, 90% of the time, you're talking to me directly. Like, I'm very available. And I'm happy to be. But I want to be available on my terms. And um, because that's the only way it's sustainable for me. And that means that I need to be able to go to my business inbox to email my accountant, right? Or like make sure or check something without seeing support emails. So when it comes to support email boundaries, a few critical things. One is figuring out how often do you need to address support emails? We do support emails two times a day. That's probably more than most people need to do. We do that because we do have uh, recurring payments with people. So that's like one of the big things that we're managing is following up with people if a payment fails or making sure that we can tell them when their next payment is due and things like that. So because we have hundreds of people on recurring payments monthly inside our program, uh, we do check twice a day to make sure that there's nothing urgent that needs to be managed. But I say for most of you, probably once a day is adequate and maybe even um, once every other day to check your support inbox. What's key here is setting up expectations. I feel like culturally, we are at a 24-hour response time expectation via email, maybe even longer right now in pandemic year two, right? I mean, thankfully, I appreciate it. There's been a lot more grace, I think, in, in email response times now that more people are working from home and are kind of dealing with the, um, the influx of communication that comes from this. Side note, I'm really excited about Cal Newport's new book, a world without email. I'm waiting on it from my library, but I can't wait to read that and let you guys know what I think. Because I actually do like email a lot, but it's not the best for asynchronous um, conversations. And yeah, (laughs) I I think email can be great and we need to be mindful of it. So part of it's setting expectations. Something that we do is we have an autoresponder on the weekends for our support inbox for our members and lets them know that we'll be back on Monday. I am a little embarrassed to confess that for the first year plus of the membership, I checked our support emails all weekend. I was anxious. I was nervous. I was afraid. There were some systems problems that had me doing that. Um, So once I identified the systems problems, we were able to actually make it so it was okay for us not to check the email on the weekends. But we did set up an autoresponder so our members know we'll get back to them on Monday. Every once in a while, I have to be in the inbox for something anyway, in which case I'll usually go ahead and handle it. I don't see a lot of point for me personally in letting things ride 
once I'm aware of them. But this is a part about knowing yourself. I have the kind of brain that really, really hates an open loop, um, or I should say loves an open loop. It loves a question. So if there's an email from someone, my brain is going to keep thinking about it. I have uh, that kind of brain. So it's often easier for me just to respond to something, which is why I need healthier boundaries around not even seeing the thing. If I see the thing, it's very hard for me to wait and come back to it later. So this is partially knowing how you work. I know there are a lot of people who can see something and are totally fine leaving it for days or even weeks. I'm not that person. I will worry at it, worry at it like it's like it's a wound. <laughs> so that's why I have those boundaries. But autoresponders are fantastic. Over the years, I've seen a variety of really awesome autoresponders. Um, Marley Grace, I don't know if she still has it, uh, had a great one years ago. Diana Harper has a fantastic one and Charm Torres as well, that essentially any email that comes in, it directs some people back to their FAQ, when they can expect a response time, etc. So I don't have one of those unless I'm out of office in general, but we do have it for the support inbox. And that might be something you want to consider is how do you, is it helpful just to have an autoresponder that lets people know what expectations are, sends them to booking links, set lets anything like that. I think this is where it comes down to boundaries is that often, if you, like me, spent time in retail or in restaurants, you might have heard the, uh, the customer is always right. <laughs> um, I actually don't believe that. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way, but the customer is not always right. I, and a lot of those jobs were abusive. So one of the ways that we can kind of navigate supporting customers without defaulting to the customer gets to dictate all the terms of this agreement, which is not true, is by having these things like autoresponders. So that is a really fantastic tool as well with boundaries. Um, so I would check on yourself and say, this is where it gets a little unsexy, I'm not gonna lie. What is necessary is in how often do you actually need to check it? And it might be more than you want, which is what we're gonna talk about in our next one. When it's hiring, it may be more than you want, especially as you grow. If you have five people in a program, you're probably not gonna get that many emails. If you have 500 people in a program, you're going to get more emails. It's just the percentage number will actually, the percentage might say the same, but the number of people will grow, meaning that that raw number is actually larger, right? Um, what do you need? And then also what feels good to you? We want to try to find that in-between point. So for me, finally, getting off of email on the weekends for the support inbox has been massive. I don't do a lot in the support inbox now in general, uh, but I was still checking it on the weekends. I don't anymore unless we're in a launch, in which case I do. When I'm in a launch, the rules are totally different, but let's just say for general support, <sighs> what a relief, right? So figure out what your email boundaries are, what you need. The third piece then is considering asking for help. And you know, I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again here, as your scalable offers grow, you're going to be reaching more people. At some point, you'll probably be reaching people who are finding you through ads, for example, or through referrals, people you don't really have a close relationship with. And often, uh, whether it's on purpose or not, sometimes those emails can start to get a little emotionally charged. People who don't know you as a person are less likely to treat your email address as if a real person is reading it. Um, we're very fortunate. Our members are amazing. And in this community, this extended community, all of you guys are amazing. And people are generally very, very uh, kind uh, to us, but not always. And it can become more and more challenging to manage emotions around the inbox. And where this becomes super important with customer service is that you need to make sure your customers are being supported and you're going to reach a point where that support does not need to come from you. Because your job as the business owner is to get more customers, 
is to sell things, um, but it's also to actually support the customers you already have. And it can be very hard to support the customers you already have if you're being distracted and emotionally derailed by complaints or concerns or cancellations or credit card charging issues. So this becomes a matter of prioritizing where you are best used and where your skills are. Also, like for me, for example, I'm an introvert. So as much as I love talking to people, I don't get any energetic energetic refurbishment. Sure, that's a thing. There's our Sarahism for the week. Um, I don't really get filled by that energetically in the same way somebody who's extroverted might. So I'm not, I drive a lot of joy from it and I love teaching live in particular. Something like the inbox is particularly draining for me. So this becomes a fantastic place to make your first hire, especially if your scalable offer is starting to take off, especially if it's one that has recurring revenue, for example, it becomes easier to hire somebody. And bringing someone in, um, you know, a virtual assistant or, or hiring someone for just five hours a week would probably manage your inbox. I find that our customer support often is probably 30 minutes a day. It's really not a ton. So it can be a great place to bring in somebody who's looking for some part-time work, maybe a member of your community even who, who wants some part-time work and can get you out of the inbox. There's one piece here that I didn't really talk about quite as much, those I do say, yay, hire people, which is how you deliver the actual program itself in your scalable offer. And in the scalable offer workshop, we do go more in depth than this, but as it pertains to customer support, recognizing that there are things that you might be doing or imagining doing now that work for five people, work for 20, maybe even work for 200, but won't work for 600 and won't work for 1,000. And what I'm going to encourage you to do as you're examining how do I want to scale customer support in addition to looking at the systems, the boundaries, and then potentially getting help or looking or expecting to get some help down the road when you're ready is are the things that you are promising people things that you can continue to deliver on. And that's really, that's really the crux of it. And it is hard. It's, it's challenging to do. Um, because sometimes we don't know what we don't know, and it's not until we've actually experienced it that we we don't know what it is. But can you imagine, for example, um, something I see people do a lot with, honestly, my opinion is that this is a bad idea. Do what you will. But I see folks offer low-price memberships that include Voxer access. Voxer is a walkie-talkie app. You send voice messages back and forth. I see stuff like that, and I'm like, well, that's probably awesome when there's 20 people in your program. But what about when there's 200, right? It doesn't scale. You can't do it for more people. You might need to find different ways, maybe asynchronous communication or maybe office hours or something like that. We do coaching calls and we have a Facebook group. So we offer a lot of high touch support for a membership, but it's things that we can do at scale and it's things that we can do um, with five people or 500 people. So starting to kind of wrap your head around that and ask, is this something that if 200 people magically showed up tomorrow that I would be ready for? And try to envision what that looks like and what it would feel like. What would it feel like if you had 200 customers emailing you? Are you ready for that? And are you ready for 200 people to be voxing you? Are you ready for 200 people in a Facebook group even? You know, it may not seem like a lot, but it can start to be a real time drain because Facebook group needs to be monitored or any community group needs to be monitored to make sure that folks are following the rules, that they're being kind to each other, whatever your rules are, 
know, we again are very lucky. HBAers, y'all are the fucking best, by the way. Thank you for being so fucking awesome. But, you know, we still monitor to make sure that, you know, that no one is is being rude or, no, or, or is, you know, saying something terrible or, you know, using hate speech, which is for us an automatic violation and removal from the program, right? Um, so we do still monitor that. It's never happened, but we do need to keep an eye on it. That's our responsibility as community caretakers is to monitor that. So just starting to think, okay, how would I handle this if I had maybe 10x your top goal? That doesn't mean we can't make changes as we grow. As I said, for example, we started out with one onboarding email and now have six. Um, I used to check email all the time and now we put up an autoresponder and solved some systems issues. Of course, at the beginning, I hand wrote every support email that we had and now we have them codified into these saved responses. So these things can change and grow. But this is kind of the the under the underbelly of a scalable offer. A lot of folks will talk about how to get these customers. And I find that often, especially for sensitive people, we will actually avoid getting those customers if we don't have a plan in place to support them fully. And then people don't want, don't talk about what it really looks like to support hundreds of people. And it is, it's it's a job. It's a full-time job, actually. So this is my my encouragement to you is to notice if you want that kind of business, if you want the kind of business where you have hundreds and hundreds of customers for whatever reason, maybe you're doing lower cost offers or you want to do things that are, you know, less intimate but still supporting a lot of people or, you know, if you sell digital downloads, it's literally the same thing that your job then, your contract with people is that you're going to support them with customer support. So what do they need? And can you envision what that looks like in the success beyond your wildest dreams and start planning for it now? I hope it's been helpful to look at these three steps of scalable customer support. And we have our systems, our boundaries, and our team. And that this helps you kind of start to think about what will happen in your business when you start to hit these big revenue goals, start to bring in new people, and to be supporting, you know, dozens, if not hundreds, or even thousands of people with your offers. And if you are interested in figuring out how to create that kind of offer that is both sustainable and scalable, the the front end version of what we talked about today, then come to the workshop this weekend. It's April 17th and 18th, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I usually go a little bit long in this workshop. I'm not going to lie, but uh, don't worry. It's all recorded. When When you purchase, you get lifetime access to the recordings, lifetime, however long the internet's around, they're yours. So you can sign up for that at holisticbusinessacademy.com forward slash scalable hyphen offer hyphen workshop. Again, that is really a terrible URL. I'm sorry. So go and check out either the link in my bio on Instagram at Sarah M. Chapel or click the show notes that we have associated with this. Snag your spot. I cannot wait to see you there. It is a live interactive workshop. This is not passive content consumption. This is actually doing things. And if you come and you show up and you, you do all the steps, you're going to have an offer that is ready to run through the test balloon beta system in the next week or so. So I will see you guys there. And yeah, thanks for checking in today. If this was supportive for you, it would mean the world to me if you would go over to um, iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and write a review for us. Sounds like a little bit of a silly thing to say, but we've been around so long now that it actually gets harder for us to be found by new people. I find that the algorithm for podcasts tends to really favor new things. It's funny because that's not necessarily true for an SEO like a Google algorithm, which actually tends to to favor things that have historical um, 
relevance, essentially, things that have been around a little bit longer. But if you like it, go and leave us a review. That'll help us to reach more people or share it with a friend. Um, I really appreciate that because this is obviously this massive free resource that we make and we want it to help as many people as possible. And I'll see you guys at the workshop this weekend. You're amazing. Thank you for your time today. Bye for now.